by now. And this morning, I want to speak on the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And there is no way I can conclude the message this morning. I will finish it on Wednesday night. On Wednesday night. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Second Corinthians chapter 2, beginning from verse 2. No, no, what did I say? Second Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 3, beginning from verse 2. Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning from verse 2. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Can you just say that with me this morning? Say, our sufficiency, our sufficiency is, from God. is from God. Let's say that one more time. Our sufficiency, our sufficiency is, from God. is from God. You know, there are many passages in the scriptures that contrast for us the law and grace. For instance, the book of Hebrews particularly tried to do a contrast between grace and the law. And a portions of the book of Galatians also address the contrast of the law and grace. But in this one chapter in 2 Corinthians, this chapter 3, Paul focuses the entire chapter to try to help you and I understand the limitation of the letter. That is the law. And the sufficiency of grace. So it tells us as we read on, let's, 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 let's read a few more verses. Verse 6. Not only is our sufficiency from God, verse 6 says, who also made us sufficient as ministers of what? The new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is the same passage in verse 17 that we, uh, many of us know this verse and we say it a lot. That verse says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the, Lord, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen? So Paul started this letter by helping us to understand that we are not just epistles. We are not just epistles written with ink and etched on stone. But rather, that you and I are epistles of God's grace written in our hearts. And then in verses 4 and 6, 
It says that we are ministers of the new covenant of the spirit, not ministers of the letter. Now, he goes on to say that the letter kills because it is a system based on performance where we try to serve God and earn God's favor by the things we do. The letter kills. Now, I know sometimes when we talk about performance-based, some of us totally switch off, and in that sense we say, that means there's nothing for us to do. No, 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 that's not what we're saying. Absolutely not. The distinction here is, you are not doing things to please God, to earn his favor. But when you do know him, and you have an encounter with him, on the basis of that encounter, you are motivated by him to engage and do certain things. Totally different perspective. On the one, you are doing things to get blessed. On the other, you are doing things because you are already blessed. Totally different. Now, <laughs> I'm praying this morning that God will help you and I to come to a place of comprehension. Because you're hearing this grace, 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 grace thing. And if you don't really know what God is saying and how he put it together, many of us are stuck. We are stuck in what I call a mixture. So one day I'm with the letter of the law, and the next day I'm in the grace. And no mixture will get any results. Amen? So now, in order for us to fully appreciate what Paul is saying, we need to take a background journey. Paul is trying to contrast here the letter, which really means the law. Because God wrote the law in letters to Moses etched on a stone. And Paul is saying the letter kills. What does he mean? It brings guilt. It brings shame. It brings condemnation. How many of you on December 31st, New Year's Eve, made resolutions? You made promises to God based on good and evil. Based on certain things you know are good to do and certain things that are not good to do. God did not ask you to do it, but you made a resolution based on your own will. How is that working for you? How is that working for you in August? Actually, I should have asked you the question before February. The letter kills. But the Spirit of God gives life. In other words, if you follow what God is saying, it overrides completely all the resolutions you can make at any given time. Because within the word that God speaks, there is power to accomplish. And so let's go back. Let's go back and see the background. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. This is a very, very familiar passage and story. I want to show you what 
God did. Exodus chapter 12. Let's read verse 3, verse 7. In verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a house. Verse 7. And I shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Verses 12 and 13. Watch this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the line of Egypt. I want to submit to you that this was a turning point for Israel. And hopefully God will help me to draw the parallel between what happened to them and what's happened to us. And that should give you some clarity. Amen? Amen. Notice God told them to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And that the angel will pass through the night. And that once the angel sees the blood, it will pass over them. Is that correct? Now, let me ask you a question. Was there any mention in that passage about the angels seeing the people inside the house? Hello? There was no mention, no reckoning concerning those inside the house on the other part of the door. The only thing the angel was concerned about, I've got to see blood. What do I do inside the house? Who was inside the house? How many there were was of no consequence. There was nothing about this instruction that had to do with the people. Once the blood was in place, in position, the rest is what? History. Amen? Amen. So we know from history, the angel of death passed through and saw the blood on the doors and because of that, passed over. So the first thing you need to know about grace, that the blood of Jesus was the sole vehicle through which grace came to us today. It's got nothing to do with me or you, how you feel, how you don't feel, but with everything to do with what Jesus accomplished. Are you hearing me so far? Okay, it's going to get more interesting. It's going to get more interesting. So, we see that the deliverance for the people, his favor, his blessing, and his salvation came upon them because there was the application of blood. And I'm saying to you this morning, in the same manner, if you are born again, and you believe that Jesus shed his blood in your behalf, that same blessing, that same deliverance, that same favor, that same salvation comes your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's read Exodus chapter 19. 
I'm building a case here. Exodus chapter 19. Verses 1 and 2. Exodus 19 verses 1 and 2. They arrived at Sinai. Oh, no. I'm reading my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Exodus 19 verses 1 and 2. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Okay, we can stop right there. Verse 1 is good enough. Now, pay attention to that. So from the day they were delivered in Egypt, three months later, they came to Sinai. Did you, do you understand that? How long did it take them? The third month, right? Third month. They came to where? Sinai. Why is this important? This is a game changer for Israel. This is a turning point in God's dealing with them. Because why? In the preceding months before this third month, Israel could not do anything wrong. Oh my God. Wow. Father, open the eyes of your people this morning. Open the ears of their understanding that they will see and they will comprehend what you are trying to pass along in Jesus' name. Every distraction, every stumbling block, we remove by the power of the blood and we thank you that our ears are open and our hearts ready to receive the engrafted word which is able to save us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Between the day they left Egypt and the moment they arrived in Sinai, it is a classical demonstration of God's grace. Sinai, we will read later, is where they received the law after they rejected God's counsel. It was in Exodus 19 that they rejected God's counsel and instead, they were given the law. But up till then, from the moment they left Egypt until Exodus 19, they couldn't do anything wrong. Case in point. In those two months, no one died in that nation. Case in point. In those two months from when they left Egypt, until it got to Sinai, no one was sick. Case in point. In those two months from when they left Egypt until they got to Sinai, there was nothing they needed that God did not provide. Nothing. And God did so. So you and I can now look back and say, oh, this is what grace supplies. The letter kills, but that spirit of life, uh, the spirit of God rather, the spirit gives life. Now, let's, 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 I, I threw some things out there. Let's go see if it's true. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's go to the scriptures. Okay? Now, to set this up, when I said nobody died, nobody was sick, all their needs were met, 
That is all true. But you also need to understand, all through that time, Israel was not behaving correctly. Not only no one, no, no one ever died, no one got sick, all provisions were made. They were not doing anything to deserve it. In fact, they continued to be a son in the flesh of God. All through that time. Numbers 11 verse 1 tells us that they complained continually. Now for those of you that want to live on miracles, you need to understand miracles get your attention, but only the knowledge of Jesus will keep you. Because if miracles alone will do it, these people had been in bondage for 400 years. They knew they were in captive custody of Pharaoh. Nothing could let them go except Jehovah. And in one night, he judged all of Egypt and delivered them. Not only that, had them fully funded if you will, in their 401k. With gold and silver beyond what they could carry. So they have to know God did it. But let's watch. Because these guys were a bunch of whiners and complainers and they did that perpetually and you need to understand that as they complained back then, many of us are complaining now. And you need to understand that complaining demonstrates unbelief. Complaining is the manifestation of unbelief. Because what you are saying is, well, God, this is not good enough. Da, 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 da. Your promise is not good. I really can't trust you. You are in unbelief. I'm saying this because you need to see what God did in this season. Despite and in spite of Israel. They whined. They murmured, they complained. How did God respond? How did God respond? Exodus 14. Uh, let me just give away the message a little bit. You cannot stop complaining or speaking negatively by making resolutions. Okay, you didn't get that. In other words, you and I cannot say, well, okay, so I corrected Butchie. I said, Butchie, you shouldn't complain like that. That's not good. And Butchie says, okay, Pastor, I hear you. You're right. I won't complain again. She makes a determination. She resolved in her will. She will not complain again. Will that solve the problem? Oh, this is interesting. I said, will that stop the problem? No. Absolutely not. It may stop it for a day or for two days. But she'll be back at it. And then I'll correct her again. And then she'll say, Pastor, I'm so sorry, I did it again. But I, from, I, this is August, the first one of August. I make a, a decision. A beginning of a new month. I won't do that again. Why would, keep, why would she keep on doing it? Is it because she does not know it's wrong? In fact, the fact that she knows it's wrong is the reason she keeps on doing it. Why? Because she's still feeding from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
I'm making a decision based on what I know to be good or not good. And the end of that is you keep on doing it. The only way you stop complaining and speaking negatively is in having the knowledge of him. When you have a love knowledge and recognize how much Jesus loves you. As you see him and you recognize and you are in that knowledge encounter, epignosis, where you really, really know him. It is the knowledge of him that you have that mutes your complaint. Not your resolution. That's why we keep on doing the same thing over and over and over because we are ministering in the letter of the law. Direct, don't do it because it's not good. Bank, don't do it because it's not good. Tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. It sounds noble. It sounds very good. Oh man, but we shouldn't do that. It's not good. But you never, the Lord never gives you the power to stop. The law only points and says, it is not good. It never helps you to stop. When they put the speed limit out there, 55 miles an hour, that's the law. It tells you how far or how fast you can go. Can it help you to slow down? It lacks the power to do so. It lacks the power to do so. Watch this. Exodus chapter 14. I want to show you this place of grace because you need to know what God has already put in place for your life. Exodus 14, verse 10. So they left Egypt. They're marching out. They're weighed down with gold. Verse 10 says, And when Pharaoh drew near, that children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Next verse. Then they said to Moses, watch this people, watch them. Watch them. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Question, why did, not, why did they not stay in Egypt? They were delivered. They could have just said, well, you know what? We choose to stay here. But after seeing the signs and the wonders and how God judged Egypt, they volunteered to go. Now they're on the journey. They're asking Moses, are there no graves in Egypt? Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Next verse. Is it not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone? That we <laughs> oh boy. That we may serve the Egyptians. Can you, can, can you believe this people? For it will have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Next verse. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Now, let me, just, just let me stop there for a minute. Now, everything they've said so far, were they good things they said about God and Moses? They whined. They complained. Which that complaint and their whining should have negated their faith. You're not hearing me. 
Everything they've said so far. If I was God. I would have sentenced them immediately. Back to Egypt. Personally delivered them back to Pharaoh. Said these guys. (laughs) But listen to Moses. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see. What did he say to them? See. Oh, no, no, you didn't hear me. See. The salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Next verse. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now, this is so simplistic, but let's, let's, let's put ourselves in this picture for a minute, a minute. Imagine you are in this group of two million people. Happy, celebrating that you just got delivered. You are in freedom. You are going to the promised land. And all of a sudden you hear all these hooves behind you. In front of you is the Red Sea. Unfortunately, as a slave, you didn't know how to swim. (laughs) So in front of you is this massive body of water. Behind you is the greatest army in the whole wide world on a fast pursuit to destroy you. You can't go forward you can't go backward, and yet you are told to stand still. <laughs> stand still. Don't do a thing. Whew. Do you understand this picture? Because for me and you are natural default. I'm going to say, Shane, why are you standing there? Do something. That's the natural inclination. Why are you just standing there watching? Do something. We expect people to do something. But God is saying, no, 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 no. You don't have to do anything. I have already done it. Now, mind you, this is in spite of their complaining, their murmuring, their whining. In other words, they are already sticking their finger in God's nose and saying, you see that? You brought us here to destroy us. We know you can't do it. They are saying all of that to God, and God said, don't worry. Now, can you handle that? That's our problem. This is the manifestation of grace. When we are talking about grace, this is what we are saying. And just as those guys had a hard time understanding and coming to grip with God's greatness, his largeness, his loving kindness, his tenderness, and his mercy. As, just as they had a hard time understanding it, that's what's happening to us. But God is showing us exactly what the pattern is. Because up till this time in the life of Israel, they were under the Abrahamic covenant which is an unconditional covenant of grace. And God said, it doesn't matter what you're saying. Because this covenant is not based on your faithfulness. It's not based on how good you are. 
It's not good on, it's not based on how bad you are. It is based on the totality of my goodness, my righteousness. When I saw that blood, I already factored in his obedience in your account. That's the issue. Come on, guys. And what happened? You know the story? See your salvation. In other words, see Jesus. Because he's the captain of our salvation. So in every obstacle you come across, rather than glorifying the obstacle, glorify the God who has already given the solution. That's how grace works. Now, there's so many, let, let me go to the next one. Because I want us to pray. I want us to pray. So that's Exodus 14. The crossing of the Red Sea. And I want us to take the time to pray this morning. For those of us who may have obstacles. Standing in the way of our progress. So that we can learn to trust God. Told them that we don't fix our problems by doing something that appeals to our flesh, but rather we see our salvation through the finished work of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15, verse 22. Don't forget, they came out of Egypt, they go into the promised land, and in these two months, of their departure from Egypt, it's nothing but pure grace. Nothing but pure grace. Exodus 15 verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then he went out into the wilderness of shore. And he went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay? Next verse. Next verse. And the people complained. Did you see that? This was their DNA. <laughs> they complained, complained, complained. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Go ahead. So he cried out to the Lord and said to the Lord, oh, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. They made a statute and an ordinance for them and there he tested them. So again, again, they were marching on, came to this place, they were thirsty and finally they found a pool of water. They rushed there to drink and the water was bitter. And again they began to complain. You will say to them, did you not remember what God just did? How he took you through the Red Sea? High delivers you from Egypt. We have no recollection of that. Every one of us that sits down here, God has done something for us. But in the moment of trial, when things are hard and tough, for some reason, we have amnesia. We forget the last thing he did. And we get in complaining mode. But don't let's even focus on that. What I want us to focus is what God's done, how God has responded. Again, they were complaining. And you see in Numbers 11, verse 1, how God did not enjoy their complaints. But did that stop God from doing what he does? 
Why do you think he's going to stop him from doing what he needs to do in your life? What's stopping you and I is our guilt and our shame and our condemnation. No, not from God, but from us. No, am I encouraging you to whine, to complain? No. I already gave you the solution to that at the beginning. I already did. I already did. But I'm saying to you that in spite of it, in spite of it, you will never diminish God by how you misbehave. Never. God will not stop being God because of you. Because you did not make him God. Is God all by himself. But please take, pay attention to the solution at Mara. They brought a tree, cast into the water, and all of a sudden, the bitterness became sweet. What is that tree? The cross. The cross of Jesus is the solution to every broken relationship. The cross of Jesus is the solution to every bad experience you're going to have. The cross. The cross. The intervention of the cross changes the situation. Every time. Every time. But more importantly, I don't want you to miss the fact that these guys were operating under pure grace. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And in this dispensation in Israel, they could not do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. Exodus chapter 15. No, 16. Exodus 16. Verses 2 and 4. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 4. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Do, do you see them? Do you see their pattern? A miracle, a deliverance, complaint. A miracle, a deliverance, complaint. That's the pattern. Now, I, I can understand why they did that because they were not born again. What God gave them was a shadow. We have the substance. They didn't. They didn't. And so even in this story, God is showing us that apart from Jesus, you can change yourself. You can get an intervention, but it doesn't change you. So they were not changed. And yet, over and over and over, God demonstrated to us his part, his role, his grace consistently. So they complained. Next verse. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people, I think you missed a verse. You missed verse 3. Thank you. And the children of Israel said to, to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. <laughs> Man, the devil is a liar. Look at what he said. When we sat by the pots of meat, really? And, we, and when we ate bread to the fool, are you serious? <laughs> For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
did God respond? Did he punish them for their complaining? Did he punish them for their lying? Answer me, please. No. Next verse. Verse 4. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quarter every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, I'll just show you three examples. From Egypt to Sinai. Sinai was where the law was given. Because after Sinai, if they complained, they died. Oh, you didn't know that? After, after the law was given, after they said to God in Exodus 19, verse 8, whatsoever the law says to us, we will do. Eh, that's what you want? Okay, you think you can make a resolution and do it? No problem. From that day forward, when they complained, they died. When the moment they died. Do you understand? Which one do you prefer? You are not talking to me. What do you prefer? You want God to take you at your word or you want to take God at his word? Which one do you prefer? Huge. I don't have time. I can, give, I can keep on showing you more and more before Exodus 19. Why did God do this for them? Why all this grace? Why? That these people kept on, if you will, abuse God and God kept on blessing them. Why? Why did he do that? Let's go to Psalms 105. Verse 37. And again, like I said, I'll, I'll finish this on, 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 on Wednesday. Psalms. What, Psalm 105. Verse 37. So David came years later and gave us a summary of everything that's happened. This is what it says. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. Next verse. Egypt was glad when they departed. For the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. Come on, man. This is too much. This is too good. The people asked, and he brought quail. He satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Why? Verse 42, that's the answer. For he, God, remembered his holy promise. And who? Abraham, his servant. That's why he did it. Because at that time, they were still under the Abrahamic covenant. So please don't miss this. What God did for them was not a direct result about how God felt for them. What God did for them was as a result of his promise. 
the holy promise which he gave to his servant Abraham. Hallelujah. Similarly, today under the covenant of grace, what God does for us is not just because of us, but because of the covenant that God has cut with his son. God did not cut the covenant with me and you. Oh my God. I need, to, I need to establish, you need to see this. The covenant we enjoy is not something God cut with me and you, coach. No. What we enjoy, we are beneficiaries of the covenant of God with God. It was God, the Father, and His Son that cut a covenant. But when that covenant was cut, Jesus had us in Him. We were in Him. And so by virtue of us being in Him, we became beneficiaries of the arrangement and the promises and the covenant between God and God. Wow. So, so what do you want? The letter or the spirit? You can have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. God did not deal with Israel on the basis of their unfaithfulness. Between Exodus chapter 12 and chapter 19. He didn't. He dealt with them on the basis of his faithfulness. And so in the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells me and you now that he has made obsolete the old covenant because it was faulty. Why was it faulty? Because the old covenant was based on man's faithfulness. And God knows that man is not faithful. Oh, I'm going to close now. I'm going to close, but let me just throw this out there before we pray. And if you're here, there's a red sea before you. You're here, you're experiencing Mara, which is bitterness, bad experience, bad relationship. Something's happened. And if you're here and, 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 uh, and you, you're trusting God for your daily provision, daily bread, that's the provision of quails. And if you're here and you are thirsty, you have an ambition, a desire, something you're looking for God to do. If you fall into any of these four categories, we're going to pray for you in a minute. But before we do that, God has gone way beyond and above to convince us he does not need your involvement in the plan he has for you. In the garden, Doc, when he was going to make woman, what did he do to Adam? He put him to a deep sleep. Why? Because he does not want Adam messing with what he was about to do. He totally took him out of the way. He only woke up to see, wow, man. Did you get that? In Genesis 15, when God was going to cut the covenant with himself, and Abraham was going to become a beneficiary of that covenant, what did God do? The passage showed us how as long as Abraham was awake, he was chasing away the vultures. He was chasing away the vultures. And God said, oh, Abraham, you don't get it yet. 
This covenant does not need you. You just need to be present to be the beneficiary. So what did God have to do? God put him what? In a deep sleep. And the Bible says, a burning oven and a lightning torch walked between the carcasses of the animal. Two things. Burning oven and a lightning torch. One represents the father. The other represents the son. So it was God and God walking through the blood. Not Abraham. Abraham was just the recipient of the blessings. Are you going to receive what God has for you today? Or are you going to continue to strive? Now, just so I make it clear. God does not need you and I to bring or to do anything to bless us. However, you have to agree with him. You have to agree with him. You have to know what God has already planned for you. You have to know his word. You have to know his promise. You have to be able to confess that promise. You need to speak into existence what God has already done. That's your involvement. So it's not as if you just sit down and bite your nails and drink Kool-Aid. There's nothing to do. No, no, no. What you need to do is to be in agreement with God. What shows that you are in agreement or you are in believing with God is speaking his word. No matter what the situation is, you have a choice. You have a choice. That's why it gave you and I self-control to choose between what he has said, what he has finished, what he has completed, and what you feel like in that moment. Our feelings is what gets us in trouble. We see the trouble, we see the situation, we see the circumstance, and we panic. And God says, stand still. Peace unto you, he says. Do not be afraid. Speak what your father has spoken about that situation. And trust him at it. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3. We trust the Christ in God. So if you're here right now, and say, Pastor, I face an obstacle. The Red Sea. Or perhaps you're here, you say, you know what? I've gone from one bad relationship to another bad relationship. It could be family. It could be business. It doesn't matter what it is. But you have a bitter experience as a result of life's dealing. Or perhaps you are concerned about your daily bread. Provision. Folks, if God can rain down quail from heaven, think about that. I mean, can you imagine that? If you can cause quail to fall from heaven, can he not do the same for you? Or you say to me, Pastor, I, 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 want, I want God to give me his heart, his desire. I first after God's desire. If you fall into any of those four categories and you want prayer, just come. Just come. Let's agree together with you. Quickly. If there's any 